you know, but uh, on the flip side of it, I, I'm going to say that riding good mares has only come with supply and demand mm-hmm. because they're, we need more supply and they're in demand. This is Chelsea Schaefer, and this is season four of The Score. You all have listened to this podcast three quarters of a million times, and we are here in season four to bring you even more of what you love. Hey everyone, welcome to part two of our series on the rope horse market. If you haven't listened to part one yet, maybe stop what you're doing, scroll back through your podcast feed and find it first. So part one was a masterclass with the likes of Trevor Brazil, Steve Friskup, Jan Parker, and Mark Smith. We talked about how the forces of supply and demand are driving up the prices of good rope horses and making a trainer's job even harder. So in part two, we continue that conversation with more trainers from the futurity world, including J.D. Yates, who won the first two American Rope Horse Futurity Association world titles on the head side, Burt McGill, who trains horses for the futurity as well as NFR head horses, Larry D. Guy, who sells top-tier horses and prospects in Abilene, Texas, and Dean Tufton, the original sponsor and partner for the American Rope Horse Futurity Association's World Championships, who's gained insights from his years and years in the breeding business as one of the leading producers in the country. This episode is brought to you by Resistel Hats. Right now, we're smack in the middle of felt season, and there's nothing like bundling up in your wild rag, snugging your Resistel down tight on your head, and saddling a horse for the jackpot this time of year. Stay tuned for more in the middle of this episode about what Resistel's slogan, We Live It Every Day, really means. To start this episode off, Colorado's J.D. Yates has built his career on the backs of great horses, but his program hasn't had any secrets, just grit, an eye for a good horse, and a whole lot of hard work. So his perspective on the supply and demand problem is one that centers around horses he makes for his customers, which is a little bit different from other folks we've talked to. Hello. Hey, J.D., what are you doing? Oh, just got done cleaning pens. What are you doing? Oh, just uh, just sitting down at my computer to work. It's we have the week of Christmas off, so um, it's a good time to work and catch up on things. So nobody's bothering me. Yeah. Uh, are you in Arizona? Or are you in Texas or in Colorado? Or where are you? Oh, Colorado. Nice. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, hey, I'm working on a podcast on the horse market, and I wanted to pick your brain about how things are going right now in the market. Do you have time? Sure. Cool. Well, so I want to focus on 2021 and what people can expect, but to do that, I feel like I have to talk about what's been going on in the horse market. How has the rope horse market been from your perspective compared to other years as of late in 2020, I guess? Well, I... um I personally don't think the market has been as good this year. I mean, there's been some horses sell high, but there's been nowhere to go rope mm-hmm. in Arizona this winter. So there hadn't been as many people, I would say, in the market for a horse. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, the horse sales that I've seen and that I've been a part of um, are very, very, very high. And, 
from my perspective because it's uh, there's not a lot of places to go um, to do, and people are getting back into the horse industry and want them to play with, want them to ride, and wanting to get ready to go somewhere when it does open up. Mm-hmm. So I see that, uh, and because of supply and demand, you know, the, the supply is so far down from the registry mm-hmm. in, in AQHA in the last few years that uh, the demand is about to outrise the supply, and that, that's the main reason that... Uh, horses are talking so much yeah so are breeders not you're saying breeders aren't keeping up with with the demand at the moment well you know when uh they flooded the market for a long lot of years and they couldn't sell the horses and then so a lot of people got out of the breeding business and uh you know it took it took you know 10 years for it to be a trickle down effect and now the demand is back and the supply is not there Mm mm-hmm and so, uh, you know, there is more people getting back into the breed and more people are getting back into the horses. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, you know, it just went through a phase there that it was, uh, you know, that they couldn't, they couldn't sell colts. And, and a lot of people still don't buy a lot of colts, but they're buying more colts because they have more time to do things with them. Yeah, yeah. Where are you finding your prospects right now? Are you breeding any of your own? Or who are you buying from? What's what's your prospect look uh, hunt you know, look like? I don't. I don't have. I don't have anything. I don't breed. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't. Uh, and I have no idea where you find them. Mm-hmm. And I have no idea. I mean, you just you just go and you go and you go and and you just always keep your eyes open if you see one you like. You go ask about him, and he might be for sale and might not. Mm-hmm. Um, I have not one place that I go mm-hmm. or one person that I go to or even one person I call. Yeah. You know, um, <clears throat> I did that. That bought him over the video and and all with the phone. And, um, you know, of course, I guess... That's, it's not worked very good for me, I'll put it that way. No, I mean, I, I would say it's worked decent for you. You've won a little bit. Um, yep, not, not buying the horses over the video. I gotcha. Over, mm-hmm. uh, you see what I'm saying? Yep. It's mm-hmm. like, you know, I pretty much uh, got to see them before I'll pull the trigger anymore just because gotcha. it's not worked very good. Everybody's like, I, and they and people that's called me to buy horses uh, send me a video. Mm-hmm. Well, in reality, honey, I can run 100 steers on a horse, and I can take a burro, and I'm going to make two out of 100 runs, make that horse look like a million dollars. And, uh, you know, I just don't trust the video game at all. Mm -hmm. And I I won't send one. I won't send a video. I mean, I'll just keep the horse. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, I just don't want to be that person that, well, you know, JD can rope on him, and they get him, and they can't rope on him. Mm-hmm. They got to come. They got to come ride him, come look at him. You know, I, I just won't do that. Mm-hmm. And now I, I think a lot of people do, and and that's fine. I'm all more power to them, right? Mm-hmm. I, I mean, if getting the deal done, I'm good with that. But personally, I got to have my eyes on them, and I uh, I want them to have their eyes on mine when they come to look at them. I gotcha. Now, how much has 
the the new incentives with like the ruby buckle and the pink buckle and the royal crown and then Dean Tufton's incentive at the Rope Horse for Charity, how much are incentives playing a role in the market right now? You know, I, I don't know because it's not, uh, you know, it's not affected my horse bike mm-hmm. at this point. It's not, but uh, I see where it, it possibly could in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, affect uh, the horse buying aspect of buying one. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like I said, I've not, it's, you know, it, it, it is a, a nice incentive mm-hmm. to, to get that if you win that, you know. But basically, you know, you, you're, buying, you're buying two-year-olds, and riding them for two years and for somebody and hoping you win that, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, hoping you win the incentive to get part of their money back for the riding. And, uh, man, I, I just, I'm still buying the individual mm-hmm. that I, I can go, that I think's a winner. Mm-hmm. I'm not letting the incentive dictate to me whether I buy a horse or not. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes good sense. What percentage of your clientele is is open-level roper versus a recreational roper? I'm going to say that 80% of my barn, mm-hmm. uh, maybe 90% of my barn, are four elite and under. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. So they're they're more recreational ropers, and but I will tell you this: they love to show their horses. They like nice horses. Mm-hmm. They like they like to have horses that are very highly respectable. Mm-hmm. And uh, they, you know, they're businessmen. They have to work, and occasionally they get time off on a weekend to come practice and ride and and uh, and have their horses go forward. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, so I'm going to say that. Although it is a passion to them, I'm going to say that, you know, most of my people are recreational ropers. Mm-hmm. Now, what about, what about mares? Are mares, I mean, you've always had good mares in your program, right? Are they, because horses are harder to come by, are more people gravitating that way? Uh, you know, I wouldn't think so. I, I, mm-hmm. I don't know that, huh? Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh. You know, it's always been a myth of the roper, quote, roper, team ropers, mm-hmm. I say, um, that, you know, a mare's just a bitch to haul, mm-hmm. or she's in heat, or, you know, and, uh, you know, I have never, I have those issues mm-hmm. with my with mares, but in reality, I go back to that, uh, that one single thing that I think people need to focus on. If you can win on the son of a bitch, you can put up with a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and so she comes into heat once a month. If you can win on her, I guess she can come in heat twice a month. I don't care. <laughs> yep. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think people lose the perspective of, but I will tell you this, you go back to the Rick Ray, no roper. Mm-hmm that wants to go to 
the jackpot and that mare's sitting there squealing and pinning her ears and biting at his buddy's horse and he's really there to rope and try to win something but more for the social event <coughs> they don't want to ride him mm-hmm. and they don't have to mm-hmm. and but for me you know i i think a good mare probably even lasts longer than a good gillet mm-hmm. as far but and uh you know, so I don't. I don't say that they're gravitating to mares. Mm-hmm. I say that uh, because of the uh, supply and demand. Again, I think there's more people riding mares. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, when I look speak back to the breakaway roping topic, almost half of those girls were riding mares at the at the national finals of breakaway roping. It seems like, you know, I I'm a girl. I run barrels, but like the the. The mares, I've always liked mares, and it seems like maybe... My sister, my sister is the same way. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, it seems like I, I, maybe with the increase in, in breakaway roping opportunities, too, mares might find a more of a footing in that in that arena. Um, it seems like the ladies don't mind the mares as much. Yeah. Well, and I, I tell you what, too, it comes back to supply and demand. Mm-hmm. They, they need more supply. Mm-hmm. And the demand's high, so the, that means you got to ride a good mare. you got to ride a good mare. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, and uh, who were always before there was enough mm-hmm. that you could always use it for an excuse. Well, yeah, it's a nice mare, but I want a guilty. Mm-hmm. Now, i got a guy in my barn from Kansas City that real, real, real nice guy. Mm-hmm. And shows and ropes and all that. He'd rather ride mares. Mm-hmm. He's like, oh, hell, we'll ride her and then breed her if we raise a colt, fine. If not, we'll, you know. Mm-hmm. He he likes the mares, mm-hmm. and, um, which is good for me. Mm-hmm. You know, but uh, on the flip side of it, I, I'm going to say that riding good mares has only come with supply and demand. Mm-hmm. Because they're, we need more supply and they're in demand. Mm-hmm. And that's the only horses that are left. Yeah, Absolutely. Now, there's not too many ropers that I can ask questions about the Brazilian market to, but you're one of them. Have you been selling any horses to Brazil lately? Has that been part of your project? I sent, I sent three uh, three great mares to Brazil uh, in November. Mm-hmm. Um, all was world champions. Mm-hmm. Uh, really good mares. But, uh, you know, that market's kind of got pretty quiet. It's pretty... Uh, you know, the value of the dollar, depending on the exchange rate, is mm-hmm. how they buy a lot of horses. But, uh, you know, they're pretty shut down from COVID, too. Mm-hmm. Now, I will tell you this. I don't see it. I don't see it happening in too long that they start shipping horses back to us. Really? And, I mean, anybody that don't believe how good the horses are. Mm-hmm. And, and it's not all. There's damn sure uh, a top, a middle, and a bottom. Mm-hmm. But that, that top end ho- set of horses over there, they can compete over here on an everyday basis. That's cool. That's good to know. Because they've yeah. been very selective, right, about what they can get over, what what crosses they can have over there. Is that correct? Or is that just with shipping? Well, 
Um, they have all kinds of government rules, too. Mm-hmm. I mean, there has to be a world champion or have to have earned over 50000 mm-hmm. Um, you know. And so, I mean, they have a, the government in Brazil has a, a set of rules that mm-hmm. a horse to meet the standard before it can even go over there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like it used to be if they wasn't two years old. You could ship anything there. Well, now they better have parent verification. Uh, their parents earn so much money mm-hmm. and get to go before, too. I mean, they really tightened the market down there and as far as how to ship and horses over. Mm-hmm. And you know what? If you'll go back and look, they got, they've got they got a shit ton load of our good mares and studs over there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. They bought and taken over there, and uh, you know more power to them. They're they're wanting in the in the operation, and so um, they've got they've got some damn nice horses over there. I can tell you that. Mm-hmm. Very good. That's awesome. Now, are you? Do you have any horses in any upcoming sales? Any of the big the Hirschbergers or the, or the Tayo sale or anything like that? No, nope, I went. I put one horse in the World Show horse sale, mm-hmm. and. Uh, um, it sold really good, and that—that that is the second horse sale I've ever been in mm-hmm. in my in my entire life. Mm-hmm. And I had one uh, in Hershberger sale last year mm-hmm. for this field tyranny, mm-hmm. and and I mean none of, none of the horses were mine; mm-hmm. they were horses. And then I put one in the World Show horse sale for a client, and the horse is so good and did good, but. That's the only experience I've ever had with a horse sale. Gotcha. So, private treaty, if you want a horse from J.D. Yates, you better show up at his house in Pueblo and, and try it. <laughs> well, you know, yeah, or, or I don't care where you ride it, but I ain't going to send you a video. Or, you know, and the, the key ticket to my deal is, huh, I don't buy them to sell. Mm-hmm. I buy them with intentions that they're going to be good enough to keep or and we're going to ride or one of my clients are going to ride mm-hmm. or Trey's going to ride or mm-hmm. my dad's going to ride. I don't, I'm not buying a prospect to sell. Mm-hmm. I do make and sell very, very seldom do I ever um, do that. I mean, everybody's got their little niche in the horse industry. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I've just not been very good at, uh, uh, I wouldn't, I don't know if it's called horse trading or what, mm-hmm. but, you know, it's not, uh, it's not uh, the gig that that I'm accustomed to. I like to, uh, you know, if I see a nice horse and I buy it, I want to see what its potential maximum ability should be. Mm-hmm. And if I can find it. And, you know, it's, so that's how. When I buy horses, I'm not buying them basically to, um, yeah, if somebody calls me up and they and they tell me about a horse and I have one, and I'll say, well, yeah, I got this, you know, I guess I'd sell him. You got to come here and ride him and look at him, you know, and mm-hmm. if they do, fine, and if they don't, I'm not, it's not going to change my demeanor of that horse, I guess. Yeah, I got gotcha. you. Now, one thing I was thinking while you were talking there is have you how many of your customers are coming to you now saying I want to get this horse 
ready for the futurity or I want this horse for a futurity horse versus like has the shift changed at all between getting ready for the AQHA shows? Is it the same thing? Like how has the futurity affected your business? I mean, still they want, at the end of the day, Chelsea, the, what people don't understand and is 90% of Skip Schumann's in the world mm-hmm. can afford to buy the goddamn horse and if, can afford to ride him. And the last thing we want that man to do is get hurt. Mm-hmm. And so if I've got a horse and training for him, more than likely that four-year-old is not going to fit him. Mm-hmm. Right? Yep. Mm-hmm. And so... Yes, do I have some clients that will let me buy whatever the hell I want to buy and show what, whatever the hell I want to do? Yes. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, somewhere down the road, they want to ride it. Yeah. And from a trainer's aspect, which I've always been, you know, mm-hmm. is uh, <clears throat> I better train a horse that that man that's paid me for a couple of years to train him, that he can ride. Mm-hmm. And if it means I have to relinquish going to the fraternity or, you know, or buying an older horse, I have to do that because um, I get paid by the month. <laughs> yeah. And that's how I pay my bills. Mm-hmm. It's not that I'm banking on winning the fraternity in Fort Worth in October. Mm-hmm. You know, if I don't win it, what happens? I still have... I have now 10 months worth of bills, mm-hmm. you know? Okay. So I, yes, it is a very good, uh, thing to, to the industry. I think it's did the broken industry, a lot of good, the fraternities, and I think it will continue doing it some good. I don't pattern my lifestyle around it, mm-hmm. but I always want, I always want three or four good ones to go. Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cause, cause you're a horse trainer. So you have more hours in the day than, than it, other folks who, you know, if they're focusing on that, that's all they can focus on, you know, getting one ready for the fraternity. But you have a little bit of time to ride a lot of horses, I suppose. Oh, yeah. 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 Absolutely, sir. Well, thank you for letting me pick your brain this morning, J.D. All right. Don't worry, son. Don't worry. Good to talk to you. Good to talk to you. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. California's Burt McGill is in the heart of team roping every winter in Arizona, but his West Coast connection brings a different geographical perspective to the market. He gets his horses ready for the futurity each year, and he's always in the hunt for a good one. Plus, he's awesome to talk to, so enjoy this part. Well, hello there. I knew I could count on you to answer. (laughs) (laughs) What are you doing? I'm recording a podcast about the rope horse market, and I was flipping through my phone, like, who might answer today on this Monday after Christmas <laughs> that might be interested in talking to me? And you won the lottery, Bert. <laughs> what are you doing? I got you. What, do you. what do you want? So you're doing a deal on the market? Yeah, just on the rope horse market and, like, what, how it, how it is for people kind of all over the country, trainers, breeders, people in the sale barns. What, what are you seeing as far as the, the well, rope horse market? I tell you what. Um, I'm not really, I mean, I'm not, I'm not seeing it a ton in the rope horse deal, but man, everything else, all the sales and, uh, I, everything is up and nobody knows why, Yeah, you know? And cause originally 
I was nervous when, because uh, I was thinking that when, uh, before the election, mm-hmm. I was like, man, Trump's got to win, because if not, everybody's going to be scared to death, and they're not going to have any money, and everybody's going to hold on to it, not spend that. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's opposites happen. Mm-hmm. You know, it seems like, I don't know what's, I don't know, it's, it's, no, nobody, nobody knows why. I do know, like, this, like, even at, uh, I mean, the cutting paturity sale was, uh, the raining paturity, uh, their sale was, uh, these, you know, these other sales, like, um, League of Legends, like, these specialty mm-hmm. sales that are catering more to, like, the, you know, middle-aged, or, you know, 50, 60-year-old woman, mm-hmm. or, like, you know, like novice, you know, recreational riders that want a pretty gild in, mm-hmm. and they're bringing they're bringing anywhere from forty to hundred thousand. Yeah, you know. <laughs> and crazy. now you like on your end, you you buy a lot of prospects and macro courses. So how is that? How is the market affecting your prospect purchasing? Are you having to spend more on prospects? Oh yeah, they've gone up dramatically. Mm-hmm. And um, I think. Uh, I think people are seeing, you know, people, well, everybody knows whatever that, uh, I mean, I don't buy a lot of them, so I try to buy the better quality. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I think the real force paturity market has, uh, has driven that up. I know there's, you know, people know that, um, well, they're willing to spend more money cause you can, uh, you can get it back, but also, um, you know, just the, yeah, I think the paturity deals drawn it as, uh, has, push the price up um and for me i think it's uh there's not as many of them they're they're extremely hard to find Mm -hmm. i can find a lot of very average horses for you know 10 15 thousand or uh right around there i mean you can find them all day long but Mm -hmm. uh uh the the really the kind that i'm wanting you know they're realistically i mean if i can they're costing anywhere from uh 20 to 30 Mm-hmm. And uh, um, you can probably knock them out for twenty twenty five three, but uh, you know, I mean, and I don't know. I hope it there, there's it's got to hit a limit because at some point it really doesn't make any sense. By the time you put all your efforts into them and your time, yeah. But then again, if you got the right kind, uh, you know, maybe it will work out. But they're going to have to bring you know a ton here in you know two or three years to get your money back out yeah that's what i was going to ask you like but, how much uh, effort does it yeah once it is everything's it's hard i don't i do not understand the world that we live in right now because <laughs> i mean they can't even keep you know like these living quarters trailers there's nowhere you know nobody even knows if there's going to be a whole lot of places to go next year and they can't even keep them on the lot yeah you know everything's going trucks that bill fick they said that you can't even Go to his lot and get a truck. You have to order a truck because they go so fast. Wow. That's, you know? That's <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, it's good, but uh, I'm just, it is, it's uh, just a crazy, crazy deal. But yeah, horses are, dang, have for sure gone up. And now you're not and, like uh, a king trader. Are you, are you selling them, when you sell one, are you selling them private treaty? Are you taking anything to the sales? What, how are you getting rid of horses when you need to sell one? I don't really like doing the sales, mm-hmm. but. Um, private treaty, mm-hmm. you know, I don't, haven't had any luck buying at sales, more selling, and, uh, I don't know, I just like to, uh, if I'm going to buy one, I want to go try him and know him, mm-hmm. and know the whole history about him, and, uh, if I'm going to sell him, you know, usually, uh, 
you know, I like to have somebody come try them and know that it's a good fit because mm-hmm. I've taken horses to sales and, and you get phone calls a week later and, it, you know, the, they're having buyer's remorse. Mm-hmm. Well, anyways, it's, so it's, it's just better for me just to go and make sure mm-hmm. that somebody can come try them a couple times if they need to and just buy them that way. Now, I've asked a few people all this for this podcast. Are you or mares finding any place in your program with, with horses? Being oh, I'm almost, I'm almost leaning that way. Really? Because uh, I think uh, one thing that I'm really thinking is going to be um, for my role in this deal is like what I want to do is I want to buy buy them as like three-year-olds or four-year-olds. Some, I might have to start buying them sooner, to be honest with you, but... I'd like to buy them when they're about three or so, mm-hmm. and uh, and this the the uh, oh, what do you call it the these incentives like these yeah. breeding incentives mm-hmm. I think are really going to take uh, are going to grow like Zancanella's got one mm-hmm. that he's doing. There's some other people that are talking about doing some other breeding incentives, and so um, the hard part is trying to find it. It makes sense because some of these, you know, if your horse is enrolled in the in the right breeding incentive. Well, you know, he may not even win the fraternity, or he might just make the finals. But if if it's the highest placing horse, you know, you're going to get a you're going to get a big check at the end of it. So it kind of I'm not I'm going to just target those, but yeah. I'm going to probably actively search for horses that um, uh, that do have some kind of a incentive behind them yeah i think that's and mm-hmm. you know i mean it just makes sense i mean you're, they're doing it with the pink buckle and that's gone crazy nowadays it seems like <clears throat> this barrel horse dealer you know and nobody these girls that's all they want they want pink buckle eligible colts and um i'm not saying it'll get that big with the roping but i think it could be i think it could be something uh, worthwhile yeah i think so too i i you and I have talked about this enough. I have one. <laughs> I have a pink buckle for for the rope horse deal and and the royal crown of Zanks. Like I've I've got one that that I've got people riding for me. It seems like it makes you feel like like as an owner you can give it a try. Like might as well. Like I have one. Yeah. He's bred. Yeah. Like no, I think so. My, and I mean, and I'm busy. And I can't. The mare, get, the mare yeah. deal is. You know, I, I go back and forth. I've never had a problem with mares. It's just that uh, it seemed like everybody else did. You know, if you had a mare, you know, people were not, they weren't, didn't want to buy them. Or they were just kind of limited your uh, your way to sell them. But, uh, man, I don't know. I'm kind of thinking that um, with this whole breeding thing and everything, I don't know. I mean, I'm not, I'm, I'm a lot more open to it than, than what I was. Yeah. Because, and I've got several gildings here that are amazing. And they look great on paper, but what happens? But you know, thing is, you have a gilding that crippled himself. Well, he's a pasture ornament, you yeah. know. And the mares, they can have some value there. Mm-hmm. But, um, but I don't know. It's uh, it's crazy. But yeah, no, there's a lot of really cool stuff happening with the rope horse deal. I'm I'm gonna be really interested to see what uh, uh, like Hershberger's or uh, Tayo sales do. That'll yeah. be be pretty interesting. And that's the other thing too. I mean, hell, Ty Ghost had a. Everybody was wondering if any if anybody was going to go to Arizona, and <laughs> he has a truck open, and you know he has fifteen hundred teams, and then yep. the following day they have a ten and a half rope and a dynamite, and he gets six hundred. Mm-hmm. You know, record numbers. Yeah, it's crazy, so. and I think, and, and like I feel that I've noticed people advertising horses for these sales 
sooner and sooner, like earlier and earlier and earlier. Like Trevor and Miles have that one that's going to be in Ty's sale that I think uh -huh. I saw the first ad for it, like long yeah. before the sale was closed. <laughs> I mean, people. Well, that's a big part of it too. And like these sales, I would be, if I was better on Facebook and the internet and all that, I would be. Uh, maybe more out to do the sales. Mm -hmm. I think that uh, I'm not saying the sales are bad at all. Um, I just and you know for what they're bringing, it's not. I mean, this kind of depends on your horse. You know, mm -hmm. I think if you have a a horse that you believe in and he's a good general public type horse, I think that maybe sales are good to go put him into. But the people that are killing them there, it's the same people, mm -hmm. and they do. They're, they do they put their work in and they do videos and I mean they start you know several months before the mm -hmm. sale and they've got them branding you know whatever it is that they do on they brand cows you know they're gentle outside up on them and they put all that on the video and then you know they share it like Rody Wilson's doing a really good job he of does it right a good now job, that was yeah. on McKibben. Mm -hmm. um, the Turners <clears throat> yeah they they're there's they they know the they know the market. And they they, yeah. they do it well, and you don't hear of a ton of, uh, you know, for them to have sustained their business model as long as all of those people that we we talk about have, like, they they aren't selling junk. Like there there seems uh -huh. to be, um, they they've made it sustainable. That's for sure. Whereas you know traders in the past got a bad reputation. They've these guys yeah. have all. Made, yeah, made no, I mean, and those guys, a lot of those guys that sell a lot of them, they've, um, you know, if they do sell one, I've known several of them that have taken horses to sales and the guy people to buy them and it's not a good fit. Well, they deal with enough of them that they'll, you know, yep. maybe take them back, you know, we'll trade you out of this one and make it right with you or whatever. Mm -hmm. cause that's, but, um, but yeah, it's, I think, uh, yeah, there's a, I mean, I think this, the whole internet deal and I mean, I think that also, um, I mean, I was going to, one thing I forgot to tell you, Brody Wilson, <clears throat> he took a horse over there to Clovis the other day, brought 30,000. Horses don't bring 30,000 to Clovis, yeah. you know, mm -hmm. but you do that, you get people interested in your horse if you market them right on the internet. And a lot of us, and a lot of these horses that are bringing the money, it's, it's over the phone, mm -hmm. <clears throat> it's phone bids. Yeah. You know, people aren't even at the sale. I mean, a lot of them are just, uh, they're on the internet or, you know, on the phone just bidding on them. Mm -hmm. It just seems crazy to me not to, you know, be there and actually see one, just buy them sight unseen, just buy them off the video. Mm -hmm. but, but they're doing a lot of that. <clears throat> well, thanks, Bert, for always being so dependable to answer your phone. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I know. I was actually working in the office doing very, I was doing, working on a budget for Arizona for uh -huh. 2021, and so like, it didn't matter if anybody called, I was going to take, I told Megan, oh, I got to go, I got to get out of here, I got, I, got, I was wanting to do anything but that budget. <laughs> well, I'm glad, I'm glad to be here out. <laughs> yeah. Awesome, thank you so much, Bert. Okay. Talk to you soon, bye-bye. Resist All Hats has been our partners for decades, and the company has been a leader in the Western way of life even longer. Since 1927, actually, proudly handcrafting every hat right here in America. From the passionate hatters that started the company to the hardworking team working daily to produce the best quality hat a cowboy can wear, the folks at Resist All live and love the Western way of life. 
Not only do they respect cowboys and the Western way of life, they all live it too. That's why they say we live it every day and why they wear the hats they make. In spite of COVID-19, Resistol is still turning out hats and shipping all over the country. So get in your order and start to think spring with your straw order too. Visit Resistol.com. You can order there. Found at many major Western retailers across the country. All right. I called Larry D. Guy because quite a few ropers told me after episode one of this series that they wanted to hear her take on the market since she sells so many good ones to open ropers and World Series ropers alike. And she's the one who made that bay horse named Greed that Trevor Brazil was high back on at the American Rope Horse Futurity Association's World Championship. She and I start our conversation talking about breakaway horses, so I actually cut that part out for part three of our series. So we're picking up in the middle of the interview. Now, shifting gears from the breakaway to the head horse market, what have you seen as far as the customers, what are the customers coming to you wanting right now? Well, it, it's two totally different things. Um, you know, the, the top guys, you know, they, they look for a little different thing in a, in a head horse than, say, the lower um, lower numbered uh, guys or World Series type people, you know the World Series type people, you know um, they're they're not as particular on how they stand in the corner. Um, they want the the horse to run to the steer and rate, you know, and give them time to swing a couple times before they rope. They don't care as much about the face. Um, there's 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 a couple different things with the you know, with the open guys is, you know, they want them to stay behind the bridle and score, you know, till at least the shoulder around. Um, they need a lot of speed. They need them moving through the corner. You know, they need them to really finish in the face, be strong. There's just a, it's just a kind of totally different, it's a totally different, you know, market there with those guys. The money's the same. Uh, you know, both, both sides will give a lot of money for a horse, but you got to have almost two, different kinds of horses um mm -hmm. the benefit for us is in the heading with that like that is you know there's there's we have different sizes of horses different different um i guess you would say ability in horses but we have when you have two different markets to sell to it's a great thing so you know i might be riding one horse i have one horse uh, a little bay horse that i call greek that trevor showed like um, he could go either market, mm -hmm. you know, and then I have, you know, some other ones that might just go to the World Series market, and then I got a bigger horse here that, you know, really scores, really strong, really faces, that would that would be a little too much maybe for the World Series market that would go to the, you know, to the, to the pro guys out there. Mm-hmm. As far as the Futurity goes, you had Greed in it last year. Do you have any Futurity horses for this year that you're planning on? Yeah, actually, um, Trevor and I have a couple. Um, and I may um, enter Greed again. Um, are you going to show him this time? Or are you going to show him this time? Or are you going to let Trevor try again? Man, I'm <laughs> going to have to let him try again if he will. You know, that was just... That was just a, that was just not, 
what you felt like was going to happen. Neither did he or anybody else, but that's just, you know, part of it. But, mm-hmm. you know, he did an awesome job showing him all the way through. So it, it, it got a lot of, it got a lot of interest, you know, with him riding them. I mean, there's nobody I feel in the industry that's better than that guy. And you, with greed, you've told me before and you told me during the charity that that you don't think he will be for sale. You don't think it's in your plans to get rid of him. Is that is that still the case, and why? You know, I rope calves on him, too, or breakaway rope on him as well, but um, I I have a full sister to him that I'm, you know, that I'm not saying that I would keep forever. Mm-hmm. But that little horse, um, I sold a full brother to him, and he was a great horse, and, you know, he helped me to build part of my indoor and do some stuff like that. And I, I kind of regretted selling him every, ever since I sold him. And I had a friend of mine, Tammy Fisher, she said, I can't believe you're selling that horse. And I'm like, man, you got to sell him for that. And she said, that's just money. All you'll do is spend it. <laughs> and you'll look up and not have that horse. And, you know, I mean, she was right. So I don't want to get in that position again. I, I want to, if, you know, I'm 50 years old this year and, if that's the head horse that I want and the horse that I want, I just feel that maybe I have that right now to keep a good one. And I've just kind of chose to keep him. I've turned down a lot of money that most people would think I was crazy for. But I just, uh, I really like that horse. And we have a pretty good bond, and I just kind of want to want to keep it. You can't ever say never, but, I mean, I've turned down enough that if I probably was going to sell him in the future, I would have sold it. Yeah, I gotcha. Now, um, you've got your finger kind of on the pulse of, of the youth market. Are there enough people, like, on both the breakaway side and the, the team roping side, are there enough good up-and-coming hands making horses right now? Um, I think there's getting to be a few more here and there. I do. Um, there's there's some ladies that rope really good that are training horses and selling some horses. Um, you know, same with the guys. I mean, there's some, you know, guys that rope really well. I mean, I know, you know, Haven is selling a bunch of breakaway horses up in Montana. Um, you know, his Shelby Beaujolais is, is dang sure training some and selling some down here. And, and she's not the only one. I mean, there's, there's a lot of these young ladies down here that are, you know, getting better at it and, and, and training them and selling them. It's just, it's, um, I, the only thing I worry about that is just, like I was saying, is it enough money in it for them? Mm-hmm. You know, by the time you pay for them, um, and then ride them for a while, is there enough, you know, or it is, I'm, I'm thinking and hoping that people are going to realize that they may have to start, start spending more for them. But, uh, until then, I just want to, I don't know if there's enough money in it for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, if somebody wants to be wants to have a career in horse training like yours, you've you've pretty much paved your own way as far as making team roping horses. Um, if somebody wants to be like you, what advice do you have for them? Don't be like me. <laughs> that'd be my first, <laughs> that'd be my first thing. Um, no, but just. You know, I, I, I was actually so, talking to Hope Thompson about it, you know, yesterday. I, if, if, I was gonna, if I was going to 
tell someone, you know, hey, go ahead and try this and do it and all that, I would tell them to write down everything and look at it. Like, whether it's the butte for 25 or $30 that you're buying the food, um, you know, to the show sheen that you're using on them. Like, write down things and see the literal cost that you are putting in these horses and how much you're making at the end on these horses. Mm-hmm. And that way, that would kind of give you a realistic idea of how profitable or not that it is. So that would kind of be my, that would be what I would do is this, you know, dang sure, know what you're putting in on and what you're getting out of it. Yeah, and and now a lot of people, you have a, a circle of clients who buy horses from you, and a lot of those come from reopen lessons. Um, or, you know, just friendships you've made in the industry, if somebody that's listening wants to talk to you about horses or wants, you know, is in the market and says, okay, I want the best, so I'm going to call Larry D., what's the best way to get a hold of you? You know, I have a a Facebook page. I have Instagram. I have a a business number Mm -hmm. um, here at the house. Um, Just, I'm pretty easy. You know, I'm pretty easy to find, and um, just, you know, give me a call or give me a, you know, shoot me a message. I'm a little slow on typing, so give me a minute to write you back, but <laughs> I'll always get back to you and, and uh, you know, give you whatever information you need to know. Perfect. Well, that is what I needed this morning, LD. Well, thanks for calling. I appreciate it. <laughs> and tell whoever suggested that I do this that I, 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 uh, I'm kind of and all or appreciate what <laughs> you know that they value my opinion absolutely absolutely thank you ma'am talk to you soon thank you all right Bye. all right we are rounding out this episode with a conversation with Jean Tufton as I tell him at the start of this interview he is also someone that my other guests on this podcast suggested I speak with He raced some of the great horses that J.D. Yates did so much of his winning on, but you'll hear him tell me, too, that he doesn't think he's cut out to be an expert on this subject. But as you get into this interview, you'll realize that in his humility, he drastically underestimated his usefulness to this conversation. In particular, he's got a broad-based understanding of what it takes to build a breeding program that creates the Horses of the Year, AQHA, and Futurity World Champions, and Killer World Series to Team Roping Horses. Enjoy! How can I help you? I don't know how I can help you. I'm probably the worst guy in the world. (laughs) That's not true. Like, almost everybody that I've talked to for this podcast has already said, did you talk to Dean Tufton about it? And I was like, well, I've been trying to get a hold of him, but he always gets back to me, so I'm not worried about it. (laughs) (laughs) Right on. So, no, we're doing a podcast, just kind of a really big picture, 40,000-foot view of the horse market, and then diving into some certain segments, uh, as as far as the rope horse market goes. So. I wondered if... Well, you're, the, you're doing a great job of that, by the way. I mean, every you. aspect that I see. And I'm not... I'm probably not the best guy to ask because I'm slightly removed mm-hmm. from the industry at times. Mm-hmm. Um, just with everything else that we've had going on in the last year, I haven't really focused as much on it as I probably should. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, I'll read every third team roping journal, maybe. <laughs> hey, that's You know okay. what I mean? I won't hold I, I'm kind of guilty, but uh, <laughs> so I don't know how I can help you because my perspective might be a little bit limited, actually. Well, yeah, one of think. the things that I'm talking to people about is the incentives. Um, and, and you 
have kind of dove in on the incentive front. Is that something, yeah. can you tell me why you wanted to do that and, and what you, what direction you see that going? Yeah. Well, for me, I mean, it's kind of a, it's really about a two part answer. Mm -hmm. Um, the first being that I have stallions that, um, obviously I'd like to promote somewhat, Mm -hmm. um, and a program that I'd like to promote. But the second part is just really to, um, increase awareness of the team roping, young team roping horses and the futurity that we have going on and try to make it grow. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's probably the most important aspect. And, and one thing that a lot of people, you said you have stallions, and, and that's obviously a big part of what I wanted to talk to you about. A lot of the guys that I've talked to, um, you know, I've talked to some of the top horsemen and, and uh, sale folk in the industry for this podcast, they've been talking about the absolute supply and demand problem that the team roping industry has right now. Did you yeah. get involved in breeding to try to remedy that? Did Tell me about why you wanted to be involved on the breeding side because there's such a shortage of folks who are. Yeah, I I can't honestly say that's the reason that I got involved mm-hmm. in the breeding. I think I think initially I set out to kind of breed my own horses. I felt like I chased chased around the cow horse or cutting or reining uh, rejects mm-hmm. looking for rope horses. And I reached a point where I was like, well, hold it. If they're a reject, there's a reason they're a reject, whether it's you know, maybe a training aspect or a genetic that doesn't fit or, or whatever it is, or maybe the horse just isn't a great horse, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and, and we're trying to pigeonhole them a little bit. So I kind of started out saying, hey, what if we start with start from scratch? You know, if we're going to bake a cake, instead of using someone else's flour and someone else's sugar, let's use our own and mm-hmm. try to make the best batch that we can and then train them the best that we can and see what we can build. And that's really how I started. Mm-hmm. And, and the stallions, you know, so it's, it's always a, it's always a progression. You're always changing. You're always making mistakes, uh, sometimes getting lucky and, and hitting a base hit or a second, you know, mm-hmm. hitting one to second or third. But really, you know, my first, my first stallion was, uh, it was the embryo brother to Patrick Smith's horse. And he was a horse, um, called he's a Dunlina mm-hmm. that I bought from, the Adams boys, mm-hmm. uh, while I was going to the road, while I was preparing for the NFR in 2007, mm-hmm. because I wanted to pivot to breeding horses. And I saw that young stud and I love pieces of, of him. It wasn't so much his genetic as it was him as an individual. I loved his look. Mm-hmm. I loved the way his neck tied out. He had a little narrower chest. So that could, you know, mean, meant he was probably gonna be a little smoother and can turn around a little bit, but he liked to drag his butt. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was a Hollywood done it out of a Dockalina mare that was a mare that all of the all of the um, all the boys had cut on in mm-hmm. high school rodeo, so that means it was a great mare. Mm-hmm. So, you know, obviously, and everybody knows about Patrick's horse um, and, and Rooster, or whatever. So, my horse, we called him Hollywood. Uh, he was my initial breeding horse, and and so we started out there, and it wouldn't, didn't take very long. And I felt like, man, I need to. I need to look around for some more studs. Not that he wasn't a nice stud. In fact, he was a really good fit. But mm-hmm. as you know, when you breed them, it's going to be a four or five year cycle before you really know what you have. Mm-hmm. And instead of just throwing all my darts in one direction, I thought I would maybe try a second stud. And when that's when I found Shiner's Lena checks at Carol Rose's mm-hmm. and started breeding him as well. And then two out of the first three to hit the ground were multiple world champions. So mm-hmm. I did it kind of as a progressive thing I just kept kind of pushing the envelope and and trying different things 
that led me all the way to, you know, where I am today, where I have Hickory Holly time in 1910 now that we're mm-hmm. uh, promoting him. And this is his first year of breeding as well. So, um, you know, it's just always, you're always progressing and trying to, to build something a little bit better or improve the mares that you're breeding. And that's what we're doing. Yeah, absolutely. So is there anything new for DT horses in 2021? Yeah, I mean the the introduction of 1910. So we're going to breed him for the first for mm-hmm. the first time. He's a five year old. He was the reserve uh, snaffle bit champion two years ago. Mm-hmm. He had a six point lead going into the fence work and and just didn't have a great cow. But really, you know, he had a tremendous three year old year. And then last year as a four year old, four year old's kind of a tough year for the cow horses because they're they're really competing against all the five-year-olds mm-hmm. and there's a big difference between a four-year-old and a five-year-old just mm-hmm. experience wise and maturity wise but he did win i think he won another thirty-five thousand maybe last year mm-hmm. so he had a decent year for a four-year-old um so he's up around one hundred fifty thousand one in two years mm-hmm. and we feel like uh and he's out of my very best mare which is a uh, little miss shiny check she's a full sister of shiner's leader checks and so I'd like to introduce him at a little lower price point than Hickory Holly Time. There's a lot of people that call me and, oh, I just can't afford, you know, to breed to Hickory Holly Time, but we really love him and blah, blah, yeah. blah. And I thought, well, this is an opportunity for some of those people maybe to to breed to uh, one of his babies, you know, Junior Stallion, and, and introduce him. So that's new for 2021. That'll be awesome. And then are you continuing the incentive still for, for the real portion oh, yeah. 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 Yeah, as, far, as long as I'm, I'm involved and, and mm-hmm. it feels like, you know, we're getting more and more horses out there that are competing. I don't know how many competed at the Futurity this year. Maybe 15 to 20 DT horses maybe that were raised and trained. Most mm-hmm. of them have been trained by us. Um, but, yeah, we'll continue to support the industry and, and watch it grow and, and hope hope it continues. Yeah, it seems like the Futurity, I, I couldn't believe how outstanding it was this year. I had chills watching those short rounds. It was just unbelievable what what it's doing it seems like yeah i mean unfortunately i wasn't there in person but i definitely watched the short rounds and Mm -hmm. watched a lot of the healing i was busy the day of the heading so i kind of peaked it a little bit but yeah i mean you start off with better horses every year they've gotten better more of them i think people really got their horses more prepared this year with the Mm -hmm. covid year and they were home working on their colts and it was it was easy to see the results of that but yeah. then the quality of the guys. So all of a sudden you have these super, super ropers, these, you know, Wesley Thorpes and Trevor Brazils that, that showed up and not only just showed up and jumped on some horses, but they've prepared them. They're ready. Yeah. And I think that was something that was real evident quickly is, is uh, how much better prepared these guys were for this thing. And, and mm-hmm. it showed the short round and the healing was fantastic. And, uh, I, you know, I'm sure the heading was equal, but, the healing really stood out to me because that's kind of where we spend a lot of our times on the hill horses. Mm-hmm. I thought it was just fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And you know, for this segment of the podcast, we're, we're getting ready to have our breeders guide for 2021, which I'm always so excited about. I thought it was really fun that we did that last year and um, yeah. ready, ready to do it again this year. But what advice would you give for somebody wanting to start a breeding program of their own? Or maybe they have not one nice mare that they roped on at the World Series yeah. finale. What, what advice do you have for people that might want to get into the game? <sighs> you know, my advice, I mean, it's a lot of fun to, to breed. It's a lot of work and it's a long process. Mm-hmm. And it takes, you know, it takes patience. I mean, 
you can you can start off with a great mare is what you're going to need. I think you need a great mare more than you need a great stallion. I, you know, Carol mm-hmm. Rose told me years ago, you know, to promote a stallion, it's a million dollars, Dean. And I was like, nah, she's crazy. It can't be that much. Mm-hmm. Well, honestly, at the cow horse level and to really promote a horse, it's at least a million dollars. Mm-hmm. It was probably a million ten years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, it takes a lot to promote these stallions. So you have multiple stallions. Um, in the cow horse industry, in the reining industry, and in the cutting industry that you can breed to, um, as well as some great rope horse um, stallions that you can breed to as well. So, you know, if you start out with one great mare and you breed her in different directions, as long as she was great and she has great disposition, mm-hmm. um, you know, great confirmation, and, and, and the key to it is, did you did you ride her? I mean, what did she ride like, you mm-hmm. know? Um a lot of people want to start breeding horses that really they didn't ride. They're mm-hmm. just mares and they want to breed them. And I would say I would hold off on that. Mm-hmm. I, I think I think it's key to breed breed the best best mares that you can, mares that are proven. And that would be my my first and foremost um, you know advice for anybody is really start out with a great mare, and then you can breed her multiple ways, and you'll probably get a nice product. Very good, sir. Thank you so much. Thank you for. Uh, hanging in with me today and giving me some time. I appreciate it, Dean. No problem. Great to visit with you. Good to talk to you. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Thank you all so much for joining us on this episode of The Score, Rope Horse Market Part 2. Part 3 is going to be on breakaway horses. We're so excited about that. There's a lot to talk about. I actually, if you talk, if you listen back to these episodes, every one of these guests pretty much gave me their opinion on the breakaway rope horse market. And I'll talk to some other breakaway ropers too to get a little bit bigger perspective. It's going to be a good one. That comes in two weeks. Um, if you haven't listened again to part one, go back and listen to part one. This is part two you just finished. Thank you all so much for sticking with us. You're listening to these episodes uh, the whole way through, which that I hope that means you and your family are sitting in the pickup, going to a World Series, going to USTRC roping, and this is getting you pumped up to do your job when you get there. Thanks all so much. Have a great January, great rest of the year, and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you again to our partners at Resist All for your support over the years. They've been our partners with the USTRC, the Ariat World Series of Team Roping, and the Breakaway Roping Journal, too. And we're so grateful for everything they give back to this industry that we love. Resistall.com.